Morning, everybody. Um, thanks for having me back for the third talk. <laughs> what a miracle. Um, so for those of you who uh, weren't um, with us on Saturday, very brief introduction. Carl, 48, married to Karen, 25 years, two daughters. One's trained to be a vet, the other's a tattoo artist. Both love the Lord, got a nearly dead German shepherd dog. Uh, did have 70 koi carp, then we got a pet heron. So we've now got four. And, um, and a cat called Spencer and a tortoise called Gary. That's me, and I live in Chesterfield. Um, now, over the years, we're going to get straight into this. Over the years, as an evangelist, um, I've, I've always been pioneering ministries. And one of the things you have to do when you're pioneering a ministry is go to this terrible thing called the Christian Resources Exhibition. Where, sorry if you're involved in that, but it's where you can buy Christian onesies and Christian socks and, and, and bells and stuff like that. And I was advertising Christian vision for men. So I had this manly stand next to the Christian sock stand every year. Every year they put me next to Christian socks. We sort of brought out the worst in me, really. Anyway, um, long story short, um, after a day of exhibiting Christian vision for men with my mate Dave, uh, this was a few years back, um, we decided to escape the evening session, shut the stand out sinfully, and escape to Pizza Express over the road. And me and Dave um, sat down, and the waiter came over. This is exactly what happened. <laughs> the waiter came over, it's a little candle, <laughs> put a flower on the table. <laughs> Thought it's not that kind of meal. But anyway, it's me, mate, Dave, <laughs> Somerset. Anyway, um, then he did this. This is actually what happened. The waiter went like this. He went, young bloke, there's a lot of Christians in here tonight. <laughs> and I went, really? I went, how can you tell? It was all like whispered and weird. I went, how can you tell? And he went, well, he goes, they come over. Like, Once a year, there's this exhibition. I went, is there? He went, yeah. I went, how can you tell if they're like Christians? He went, we get more complaints, less tips, and only drink tap water. <laughs> so he said, what can I get you boys? He said, Lord's beer, massive pizza, we'll give you a huge tip. <laughs> he said, what are you doing here? He went, no, not much, just passing through. <laughs> but then I thought, is that it? He's seriously, like we were gutted. That is an actual conversation. I thought, is that us? Are we the moaners and complainers? The mean people who don't tip and only drink tap water. I mean, I'm not advocating buying a large Stella every time. I'm just saying, how disappointing is that? We are honestly gutted. Now, my dad, my dad was a proper old school East End cop. Um, as you can tell, I come from Essex, for those of you who weren't ASD. <laughs> Whereabouts? Barking? I was born in Darsenham. <laughs> Hello, sister. So, um, my dad, do you remember the programme Life on Mars? Yeah. Inspector Regan. My dad was an inspector of the flying squad. And then the regional crime squad. He was a proper armed undercover cop. He sent me a photo recently of him at my age. with spitting image apart. In fact, he's got a special forces moustache and I've got a beard. Um, but he then became the senior murder investigator for the Met Police. Running something called the Area Major Investigation Pool. So serial killers, unsolved crimes, that kind of stuff. And he was the first ever detective to use a pioneering DNA technology to identify a criminal, but most of his, a murderer, but most of his stuff was old school detective work. He once arrested a murderer called the Stockwell Strangler 
because the dust in his turn-ups matched the dust in the crime scene. Another time he was interviewing someone who was wearing glasses and he literally pulled them off their face and he said, impound these and check them. And there were micro fragments of blood embedded in the stain, in, in the rim of the glasses, sorry. Now, the theory is, invented by a man called Lockhart, who lived in Lyon, who Sherlock Holmes is based on. The theory is this, of forensic science. Every single contact leaves a trace. Every contact. So start worrying now if you committed a crime, because they will find you. We will pray for you, and the Lord will forgive you, but you'll get nicked, <laughs> and you have to do time. Every contact leaves a trace. But I think that's not just physical, I think it's spiritual as well. So, for example, in Acts 19, there's this fascinating account where Paul the Apostle comes across these blokes who, um, well, it's written about Paul the Apostle, sorry. The sons of Sceva are driving out demons in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. Now, look it up later. So these Jewish guys were going, demon in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, come out. And demons were reacting to the name of Jesus. Now, once, when I was a banker, I had a client who was a medium. And I said to the, I thought, how do you witness to a medium? So I said to the medium, a bit cheekily, you, you heard yesterday if you were there, one of my life mottos is, let's see if we can get away with it. So I said to this um, medium, have you got spirit guides? He said, yeah, I've got three. That's a bit greedy, isn't it? Um, then I said, ask him who's in charge on the other side. And when I met her again, she said, I asked, did you ask your spirit guides who's in charge on the other side? And she said, yeah, the Christ is in charge. That's her answer. Thank you, Dagnum boy. Barking boy. <laughs> well, you're sitting next to the barking girl, so I'm just making assumptions, which is the mother of all catastrophe as a preacher. Anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, but she then said, but my spirit guide said, if I keep talking to you, they're not going to talk to me. And they say, I'll make my living, so I can't go on and do the business with you. Isn't that amazing? The Christ is in charge on the other side. And the anointing of God stirs stuff up. But so does the name of Jesus. So these demons were casting, being cast out in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. But one day they come across a powerful demon. And I'm going to paraphrase barking style. The demon basically says, hold on me old China. I don't know who you are, but I know who Paul is and duffs him up. But what it means is the name of Jesus has power. But Paul was known in hell. Think about that. In the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. And the demon actually says, hold on, I know who Jesus is. I know who Paul is. Don't know who you are. Do you know what that means? You're known in hell. You're known. You gave your life to Christ. You've got a bullseye on your back. And you're known by Jesus. But you're known by the devil and his demons. The question is what you're known for. That's the big question. Every contact leaves a trace, spiritually, physically, what you're known for. So I'm going to read through. I talked yesterday a lot about ministering to the poor and reaching out. You can't do it unless you're leading an absolutely Christ-centered lifestyle. We're not perfection. You can only do it with the Holy Spirit helping you. But we're on the narrow path of Matthew 7. We're intentionally walking with Jesus as our central focus, not deviating one degree off. You deviate off the narrow path for one degree for a couple of years, you won't even see the path anymore. Only takes blunt in the edge a little bit. And I'm going to read you a passage which becomes so important to me about living with the opposite spirit. And we're going to try and unpack it. And there's a couple of other things around that I want to draw in. This is the mandate for Christian living in Romans 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Let's pause there. 
You ever said, I love them, but I don't like them? You ever said that? That's not sincere love. It's not. You love and you love and you love people, even if it's not coming back to you. True love doesn't have to be reciprocated. It's sacrificial. My wife looked after an old bloke called Mick who had dying of leukemia, had no family, no friends in his 80s. And he never said thank you for anything she did. She used to clean him up after he went to the toilet. She wasn't mobile properly, take him to hostel twice a week for injections in his eye, do his shopping at Morrison's. All he ever did was complain. All he ever did was complain. About two people turned up to his funeral. My wife wept. I said, why did you weep? He was horrible to you. He said, I don't understand it. And it clicked. You love and you love and you love and you serve and you serve and you serve. It changes your heart. You don't do it for reciprocation. You do it because it's right. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Just pause there. You know, one of the biggest traps is for a Christian. The sin of comparisons. Worrying about how better everyone else is or there's a better speaker than me or why are they a leader and I'm not a leader. Why are they this and I'm not... Do you know what? True Christian community cheers everyone else on. You want everyone else to be better than you. Like, I've never worried about whether I'm the most eloquent, polished, best speaker. Stuff that, it's rubbish. I just want to see people come to Christ. And God will honour you for that. You want to aspire to leadership, cheer others on ahead of you. That's the way to do it. Honour one another above yourselves. Create that culture. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour. Serve in the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Even with man flu. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. True Christian hospitality is spending time with people who are not like you. For instance, entertaining an Essex boy. You'll tick that box. It's welcoming people into your home who wind you up. Who might not look like you, behave like you, have the same academic standard of conversation as you. That's proper hospitality. It's not a cheese fondue with your mates. It's not. Gets worse. Come back to that in a minute. Gets worse. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position from Dagenham. I mean it, actually. Be willing to associate with people of low position. That is in the word of God for a reason. Because we form enclaves of like-minded people. And that is not the kingdom way. Do not be conceited. It gets worse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take my revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't do it because of that. Don't, don't love your enemy. Think, now I'm going to take my hump of burning coals on his head and consume him with fire. He's saying, give it to Jesus. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. 
There's a little something here I just want to share that's related into this. And it really was on, as I woke up in my room this morning, how good is a premier in bed? I just couldn't get up this morning. It's like, oh, it's wrapped in it. I Denny Henry did that. Anyway, so I was lying there in bed this morning and I felt this overwhelming urge to definitely share this flip side of a story I told yesterday. Now, I told yesterday about a man called Titch who came around to duff me up and the power of the Lord took him out and it was wonderful and glorious. But the reason he came around to beat me up is because I've just led his sister Sue to Christ. And I want to share a story. This is a blessed those who persecute you, live in harmony with one another, spend time with people who are not like you kind of gig. Now, I am actually, you're not going to believe this, quite shy. I am. I'm doing this because Jesus loves me and he's asked me to do it. After talks, I go and hide in a corner with a coffee. You know, and if I look grumpy, that's because I'm from Dagenham. It's, I'm actually full of inner joy. But, but sometimes people think I'm unapproachable. I'm hugely approachable. I'm just a bit shy. So knocking on doors for Jesus is the last thing I want to do. I hate it. But years ago, I started to walk around the estate that we moved on to, Karen and I, to plant a church. And it was a really tough estate. We were knocking on doors. And um, I was walking down this, the worst road. It was called Colville Mews. And I was cutting through it to go to my house. And I didn't want to knock on the doors because they were all proper rough. And as I walked past this one house, number five, this little inner voice, conviction said to me, knock on number five. Thought you were having a giraffe. Not doing that. It's a proper rough house. Anyway, it's really convicting me. So I just sort of knocked on the door. And this woman answered, who looked like Big Daddy the wrestler from the 70s. Do you remember him? Do you remember him? Anyone? So she was huge. She had all her hair tied back. She was like this. She went, what? <laughs> I went, hello. My name's Beecher. I'm like an undercover vicar because I never want a dog collar. Don't even know how to get one. So, um, my name's Beecher. I'm like an undercover vicar. And I've started a church in the estate and I'm knocking on doors, introducing myself and pop me on for a brew. She said to me in the nicest, horrible way, <laughs> she said, I'd, it's a bit full of expletives. So it went like this. I don't want some man, bloke, telling me who wears a dress for a living, telling me how to live my life. Do please leave. Word to that effect. <laughs> and slammed the door violently. So I'm like, ugh, a bit shaken, because I'm actually shy. And my heart was in my chest a bit. And I walked down the path. Now, I was with a bunch of pub musicians that we'd recently led to Christ. And they were laughing their heads off, because they'd just witnessed it. As we're walking down the road to get to the alleyway, this voice says to me, go back and knock on the door again. I'm like, you having a laugh? Go back and knock on the door, go back and knock on the door. And I said to the pub musician blokes, I think I've got to go knock on the door again. They went, <laughs> So anyway, I walked out of the path, proper praying for courage. Knocked on the door again, and she went, I've told you once, I've told you twice, do please leave. Or worse to that effect. And shut the door again, violently in my face. And the pub musicians are laughing. About 10 days later, I'm walking back down Colville Muse, and his voice says, knock on number five, knock on number five. Oh, I hate this. So I went and knocked on the door again. I went, uh, she opened the door, and she went, oh, it's you. Come on in, love. I thought, that's a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, never forget this moment. Because I sat down, and um, in this bare house, no carpet, young kid sitting in a corner, rolling her mum a joint, about eight years old. I mean, this, is, this is proper deprivation, this. Why in her mum a joint? She said to me, do you want a brew? 
went, I love one. She made me a cup of tea. I took a sip, went, oh, can I have sugar, please? And I'll never forget this. She went, sugar? That's really bad for you, you know? I'm like, kids rolled in a spliff. Anyway, <laughs> never forget that. And I said, bit of a different welcome this week. And then she said this. I said, put it out there as it is. She said, when you knocked on the door, I just planned to kill myself. And I had two litres of vodka and a bunch of pills. I said, do myself in. And he kept knocking on the door and it really made me cross. It took all my courage to build up to this moment. Um, I said, why did you want to do that? She said, because one of my brothers, I'm estranged from, raped me when I was a kid. I said, I've, I've wanted to kill myself ever since. I said, wow. I said, why didn't you? She said, because after the first time you knocked, and you said you were an undercover vicar. She said, it put a smile on my face. And I shut the door. I, went, I remember shutting the door. <laughs> said, but I said a prayer. She remember at school we used to pray. And I said this prayer. I said, God, if you're real, send him back to my door. So I didn't kill myself. And I've been looking for you ever since. Thought I've been trying to avoid you, love. <laughs> so, <laughs> flipping heck. Put yourself into difficult places. Be prepared to spend time with people who are not like you. Then your healing will quickly appear. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You'll cry for help and here I am. Spirit of the Lord works and we step out. You spend time with people who aren't like you, the hurting, the lost and the broken, the despised ones. But one of the things I did want to say, and this, this is when I was lying in my pit this morning, I felt like there might be someone in here. feels like they come to the end of the line. You think you're unloved. It's a lie from hell. You are loved by Jesus more than you can ever imagine. Your life has infinite worth because a saviour died for you. His name's Jesus. He can totally change your life. If you're sitting here this morning, you've got suicidal ideation, or you're feeling like you come to the end of the line, this is a message for you. Your God is reaching out for you. He wants to heal you and restore you and give you a beautiful future. As to this woman, Sue, she gave up becoming an illegal debt collector for her brother and became a lollipop lady <laughs> between where we used to meet and the, in the community centre and the estate. And the church grew rapidly because as people cross the road, she go, do you go to Queen's Park Baptist Church? Because you should! And everyone was totally fine of her. So the church grew under her ministry. Um, but the other funny thing is, she got a t-shirt printed. And it said, instead of Jesus is my saviour, it said, Jesus is my slavery. Because she couldn't spell properly. But I never had the heart to tell her because I was too scared. Anyway. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice to those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Pour your heart out. Live with the opposite spirit. A few years ago, I was at a curry night. If you do men's ministry, all you ever do is eat curry. It's the new quiche. It's doing me head in. Can we do something else now, like Italian nights or something? Or Israeli nights? It properly does my head in. Anyway, I've been at a curry night. And um, the reason being, I've been away all week in the Netherlands, pioneering some ministry stuff out there. And my wife at the time was my PA. And I literally got a ski pole airport, looked at my phone, and um, he said, curry night in Barrow-on-Saw. Has anyone here ever been to Barrow-on-Saw or heard of it? Like, no one. 
exactly. So I'm looking and I've been away 10 days. I've got to go to Barrel on Saw, where's that? I was proper annoyed about it, actually. I know you can't imagine you being grumpy. But anyway, so I phoned Karen up and went, why? Where is it? She said, Leicestershire, and I've, I've been away. Why have I got to go tonight? Do you know what she said? So I prayed and I really thought the Lord wanted you to go. That is properly taking the upper hand, that. But you can't argue with it. Never say that in a meeting. I hate that. Anyway, but my wife got away with it. So I got home, got a shower, drove to Barrow on Saw, which has a row of houses, a canal, a pub, a curry house, and ten ferrets. That's it. And um, I always turn up early for everything. It's one of these little OCD things. Turn up early. It's a tiny curry house, and the organiser's there. And I said, how many blokes you got turning up? And he went, oh, about 20. I went, great. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, preach the gospel. I said, how long for? He said, 10 minutes. 10 minutes? How can I do that? Then I said, how many non-Christians are coming? He went, no, they're all saved. <laughs> preach the gospel. But 10 minutes, people are saved. I thought, this is terrible. And I went, what's on the menu? He said, a chicken booner and a naan bread. I said, what if you don't like chicken booner? He said, well, I've got a naan bread. I thought, this is just awful. What a terrible night. Anyway, um, long story short, because of time, um, this bloke walked in who looked like Herman Munster from the Munsters. Now, I've got a photo of him in a bit, I'll show you in a bit, to prove that I'm not exaggerating. And um, he sat opposite me, my mate Paul Gask. Paul Gask was a counter-terrorist police officer for Leicester Constabulary who looks like a pit bull swallowed a wasp. He actually does. And I said to this bloke who sat opposite me, I went, hello, mate. And he went, ugh, ugh. <laughs> Great. Had an arm bread, Diet Coke, stood up, did me 10 minute talk, sat down, said to the bloke, what do you think of that? And he just went, Ugh. okay. Um, then I went to the bar, thought I'd have one more Diet Coke before I hit the road. And he followed me, tiny curry house. This bloke's about 6'4". And he towered over me in front of everybody, because I'm only five foot eight and a half. A half's important. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm looking up at him and he went, you're Jesus. Not Jesus, you're Jesus. Can he forgive anybody? I mean, yeah, he can. He said, how does he do that? So I got proper in his face. I was fed up. I went, didn't you listen to me talk? <laughs> I did. He went, yeah. That's why I explained it. Terrible pastor. And then he said, could he forgive a Nazi who gashed Jews to death in Auschwitz? Then? I said, of course he can. He said, really? I mean, he can forgive anybody, mate. There's nothing that you've done or can do that will separate you from the love of God if you turn to him. There's maybe somebody to hear that this morning. You don't put anyone on the shelf. It's got a thousand second chances too. No one is ever disqualified permanently. I just want to say that. He's got tears in his eyes. He spun out. Walked out. Gasky, me mate, Paul Gask, comes bounding over. Now, if you ever meet him, he's a fantastic speaker. This is just what he's like. He went... Significant, very significant, very significant, significant, totally significant, very significant, that's totally significant. Well, what is? And he said, he's a Nazi. He got arrested at gunpoint at a gay rally, planting a pipe bomb. And I said, you could have told me that if I got in his face, couldn't you? I said, what's he doing in Barrow on Saw? He said, he's living in an MI5 safe house, which I've now I've blown that out of the water. So they're no longer, they're no longer in Barrow on Saw, everybody. <laughs> they're not there anymore. So, anyway, uh, so he was living under an assumed identity. Story goes like this. Can't sleep that night. And the next morning, he gets up at six, and he's prowling the streets of Baron Saw, and he finds the Baptist church, and the Baptist ministers at his desk. 
doing his UCB notes, whatever Baptists do, and um, searching the Lord's word. <laughs> and this bloke, like Herman Munster, appears behind him and says, I heard the message of Jesus last night. Is it true? <laughs> Thankfully, the Baptist minister is a proper one. And he turned around and he said, yes, it is true. How can I help you? And he led him to Christ. And this bloke gets on his knees, surrenders his life to Jesus. Within 18 months, this bloke was a general in a pan-European terrorist movement. Proper high echelon guy and dangerous. Was involved in a plot to kidnap Tony Bear's kids. Was arrested for that as well. Like proper top-level terrorist. Surrendered his life to Jesus. Within 18 months, he preached the gospel to 1,500 Jewish school kids on a Holocaust Memorial Day. First person he led to Christ was a gay bloke. Second person he led to Christ was a Jew. Third person he led to Christ was a black guy. Fourth person he led to Christ was his son. He's now fully restored and getting married in June and going to his wedding. He's one of my best mates. How about that? And only Jesus can do that. Now, I want to show you a picture of him. I want to show you a picture because there's a, there's a follow-on to this story. The first picture is the three of us together. So that's him on the left. I'm on tiptoes. The bloke... The bloke on the right is called Graham Swan. Have you heard of Graham Swan, the cricketer? <laughs> so he put out 5,000 leaflets around Loughborough saying, come and hear the testimony of Graham Swan. <laughs> and he said he got 5,000% oversubscribed. So I all thought he was a world-class cricketer, but it wasn't. It was Swanee, the tattoo artist from Loughborough. <laughs> he said, but they all heard the gospel, brother. Anyway, he showed the next photo. That bloke on the left is another terror gang leader. Chris, my mate, gave his life to Christ. He then, these guys tried to kill each other. He then led another terrorist leader to Christ in the next photo. And that's the other terrorist leader's baptism. Only Jesus can dismantle terror structures. Only Jesus can bring peace and reconciliation. If we spend time with people who are not like us and properly reach out, only Jesus Christ can do it. I once sat in a living room in Belfast with a member of the IRA and an ex-member of a counter-terrorist unit in the RUC, sitting in the same living room, we prayed together, and they said we used to hunt each other on the streets of Belfast. Now we're on the men's breakfast planning committee. They both surrender their lives to Christ. Only Jesus can do it. But there's a flip side. It's not because I'm an amazing evangelist. I was proper grumpy, tired, fed up, been away all week. It was gasky. Gasky was a counter-terrorist police officer and supervised this other guy in his safe house. And do you know what Chris told me? The reason he gave his life to Jesus? Because Gasky loved him and loved him and loved him and loved him and loved him. Who loves a Nazi? Do the police? No. But he loved him and loved him and loved him and loved him. And then some short, stocky bloke from Essex comes in does a terrible talk and it connects. What if, what if everyone in Mosaic saw themselves as an infiltrator for the kingdom of God? What if we all lived with the opposite spirit? We blessed those who persecuted us. We loved our enemies. We spent time with people not like us. I'll finish with this story. Put me time on and everything. Seven minutes, 20 seconds to land this one. I founded this thing called The Gathering some years ago, which is like Top Gear Meets Songs of Praise, everybody. And it's a festival, evangelistic festival for men. We've seen about a thousand men give their lives to Christ through it now. The whole thing's a blag, really, but it's good fun. Anyway, 
Last year, last June, the most amazing thing happened. And it has profoundly moved me and affected me. On a Friday night, I mean, it's two and a half thousand men there. We have a mess tent, a beer tent that seats a thousand. And then a, a main auditorium for like a tent for 3,000. Anyway, it means that I don't bump into the same person more than once normally unless they're on team. There's a lot of blokes milling around and stuff. On a Friday evening, I came across Arthur White, who's a founder of Tough Talk, ex-gangsters and stuff who preach Christ, leading a young man to Christ in his mid-twenties, late-twenties, proper sharp-looking guy, to weeping. And Arthur, Arthur says to me, Beachy, come on over, meet Matt. And he introduced me, and basically Matt was a career criminal, drug dealer, he said this to me, he went, he said, two nights ago, I woke up next to a woman I didn't know, and I got three kilos of cocaine in my house. He said, I've just met Jesus. And he's weeping. Do you know what my first question was? What are you going to do with the three kilos of cocaine? That's a serious amount of cocaine. If you know the street value of that, I'll pray for you after, because you really shouldn't. Anyway, um, so we had a little pray together. An amazing story he told me. Saturday morning, I'm strolling through the mess tent again, and Matt's there. And he, come, he comes bounding over. He goes, Beachy, can I tell you something? I went, what's that, Matt? He said, this amazing thing's happened. I said, what's that? He said, well, I only came here because a mate invited me. An ordinary mate in a church invited a cocaine dealer to the gathering, gives his life to Christ. So I just I keep putting it out there, spend time with people who are not like you. God shines his light. Anyway, um, he said, I hate the police. I mean, I can imagine. He said, well, the thing is, I hated the police. He said, when I turned up, I saw these police riot vans. I went, oh, that's the anti-stream and flag-waving patrol. The Christian Police Association do fake riot demonstrations. It's a joke. You'll get it if you go. It's hard to explain. Um, anyway, we have loads of Christian police, loads of military turning up. Um, and they get it actually signed off as professional development to come to our festival. How about that? Anyway, it's all the black. Um, anyway, um, he said, but that night, he said, I nearly ran away until he explained to me it was all a joke. Proper police, but joking. Um, he said, in the night I woke up realising I now love the police. I said, really? He went, yeah. He said, can you help me? This is proper repentance, this. He said, I want to be reconciled to the law. I want to hug a policeman. <laughs> and never been said to me before that. And uh, I said, I think I can help you. I've got this little cheeky idea. I said to him, why don't we do it publicly if you're up for it? Said, yeah, I'm up for that. I said, I'll call you up the front tonight and we'll see if there's a policeman in the crowd who wants to give you a hug. Knowing there are about 100 of them. Anyway, um, called him up the front. I made sure, by the way, he dealt with the cocaine issue first. And he had, just so we're clear. Anyway, um, I called him up the front. Now at the gathering, if we announce someone's given their life to Christ, people stamp and roar and cheer because it's all about salvation. So this is Matt. So he was a career criminal. Didn't mention anything else. said, so and last night, gave his life to Christ. Um, and everyone's going, yes. I mean, he used to hate the police, but now he wants to hug a policeman. He said, are there any Christian cops out there? And at that moment, about 50 cops start running forward. And I thought, oh no, what if there's a warrant out of his arrest? I did. And Matt looked at me, he's like, <laughs> I had this sinking feeling for a moment. But then do you know what happened? And they got to him, they mobbed him, and they started kissing his head. Stroking his face. They loved him and loved him and loved him. And they were all weeping, patting him on the back. And I couldn't stop it from happening. And I watched one of my mates, he's a cop, and his head in his hands sitting down, pouring, like eyes pouring with tears. This beautiful moment of reconciliation. 
enemies reconciled by Christ. Only happens in churches. Don't happen in self-help conferences, this. And then one cop came over to me afterwards and he said, I had PTSD from being stabbed up in a line of duty. He said, but the moment I hugged that young man and I stroked his face, I felt something leave me. And I followed it up months later. He said to me, I've never slept a night since it happened. But I followed it up months later and he said, since I hugged that young man and I forgave him and he forgave me and vice versa. He said, I've slept like a baby ever since. No PTSD anymore. Only Jesus. Only the power of the cross. Only the power of the gospel. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, it is mine to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you'll eat burning coals in his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Shall we stand? Father, we pray. Send your Holy Spirit to us now. Brood over this meeting. We want to be those people. I want to be that man, God. I want to love my enemies and bless those who are persecuting me. I want to reach out to those people who are not like me. Help us, God. One of the things I felt yesterday and again this morning was actually maybe there was someone who's actually tried to reach out before. I had a vision or a dream or a plan to reach hurting or unlovable people and you tried it and you got burnt and you got hurt. Or you're in the midst of it now and you're hurting. Could be you're pioneering something with Mosaic. I just felt a little whisper of the Lord. Go again. Go again. Go again. The enemy wanted you to quit. But the Lord wants you to go again. And it may be the other thing I felt was, you're burning with a passion to do this, but you feel you're disqualified because of something that happened in your past. And I felt like the Lord was saying, he'll use your disqualification at one point to reach those who are currently disqualified and bring them back. He will use everything that the enemy meant for harm and turn it for good. So as we worship, and that's you, I just ask you to get prayer. This could be a sovereign moment. Let's lift our voices and ask God to speak to us. Let's call out to him. Let's worship. And let's see what the Lord wants to do amongst us as we do that.